Okay, guys, so we're going to take uh, uh, roughly a final step in this, uh, in this talk, this discussion about forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation. Um, but I want to start with a conversation that Barney and I had this week, and it's, it's something that I hope you guys will hear what I'm saying and take it to heart. Um, there are a lot of difficult things that we are asked to do in life. The smallest of those is moving your chair, right? But there are a lot of difficult things that you are asked to do in life. And just like discipline in the Bible, it's never, it's never enjoyed when it, when it hits, right? We don't like being disciplined. How many of you love being disciplined, right? Nobody loves that, right? Uh, it's not enjoyable in the moment. But if we have a bigger picture of it, we see the fruit that it bears in our life, and if we can see that objectively, we can look back and go, wow, that was amazing. That was, that was beautiful, what God has brought me through, what God has taught me. So this is important. When it comes to lessons on forgiveness and reconciliation, lessons on repentance, uh, lessons on any kind of relationship dynamic, it is very difficult what we're asked to do. It's very difficult. Sometimes I just don't want to love on people. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, like generally, <laughs> right? I don't, I don't feel that way, but I know what God has called me to. And so we have this discussion on just the hard work that is involved. And we can push that hard work off, but guess what we're doing? We're just delaying our growth, right, if we push that work off. Um, so when I talk about this today, when we start talking about reconciliation and we start drawing some parallels here, I need you to hear that I understand that it's difficult. I understand that it's difficult. Just because I preach these things and just because they're hard doesn't mean I sit here and think uh, judgingly of people like, what are you waiting on? Why is it that you keep dragging your feet? Or Those judgments aren't generally in my mind. Usually what's in my mind is what's in the way? What's, what's hurting? What's causing the problem? Okay? So I want you to know this as we're talking about these issues, that if things that are hard come up in this, uh, there's no, there, I'm not judging you from this side. I'm walking through this same stuff myself. Um, so I'm not judging you from this side, but I want you to realize there is no way around the hard work of forgiveness. There's no way around the hard work of reconciliation. There is no way around the hard work of repentance. There's no way around it. Uh, this is also one of those moments where, as a dad, uh, observing how my daughters are, <laughs> uh, observing how they are, this is also a work that someone else cannot do for you. I can't forgive the people in your life. Right? I can't repent for you. No amount of pastoral meetings will make it so I can reconcile your relationship <laughs> with anyone. Right? I'll try. I'll give it everything I got. Right? But there is nothing uh, that anyone else can do. It is hard work and it is work that you must do. Okay? So, we're going to talk about the path of reconciliation today. Genesis chapter 45 through 50 uh, primarily focus on this idea of reconciliation and a reunion 
with Joseph and his brothers and uh, Joseph and his father, Jacob's family. And then the movement, uh, the, the moving, the, the changing of location to Egypt and uh, deals with the hard stuff. It deals with the death of Jacob. It deals with the death of Joseph. And, and so what I want to do is I want to give you a brief summary of chapters 45 through 50. And then we're going to talk about this path to reconciliation uh, in the midst of those chapters, right? So in chapter 45, Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. And we've talked about this. Uh, but he reveals his identity to his brothers who have come to Egypt for what reason? They're hungry, right? They're hungry, and, uh, and there's a famine in the land, and so they've come to, to find relief from that. And uh, in, upon that encounter, they recognize or they realize their brother isn't dead, the one they sold into slavery. And so Joseph forgives them for all of their past reactions, um, uh, their, their actions, rather, and he reassures them that, uh, that it was actually God's orchestrated plan that was at play in all of this. And that's complex for us to understand and wrap our minds around, right? So, um, so but the idea is that there's a, there is this, there's an action and then there is a consequence to that action and then Joseph meets them years later and he forgives them and so there's this weird interplay there. He instructs his brothers in this chapter to bring their father Jacob and the rest of the family to Egypt to live in the land of Goshen and this is different from Goshen just down the road because no one would want to live there voluntarily. Anyway, right, so so Genesis 40, sorry if you're from there, deal with it. Genesis 46, Jacob, uh, Jacob receives a divine revelation at Beersheba. Now, this is not Joseph. This is Jacob, right? The father, the patriarch. And it assures him in this revelation, he is assured to go to Egypt. uh, And it's part of God's plan that he will be made a great nation there. Uh, I love how we're supposed to understand promises and the fulfillment of those promises because Jacob goes to Egypt where he dies. But God still kept his promise and makes a great nation out of him because it's much bigger than the, uh, the personal manifestation of that, that we, than we think, right? We think he's going to sit on a throne and he's going to be king over all things and that's just not how those promises work. So Jacob and his descendants journey to Egypt and they settle right there. Um, in Genesis 47, Joseph arranges for his family to meet Pharaoh and Jacob actually blesses Pharaoh. Uh, due to the famine, the people of Egypt give their money and their livestock and their land to Pharaoh in exchange for food. And in this whole thing, Joseph is ensuring that his family is settled in the best part of Egypt uh, and that they'll have all the food and resources that they need during the famine. And then there's Genesis 48. And in Genesis 48, Jacob is nearing the end of his life and he becomes sick. And Joseph brings his two sons to him, that's Ephraim and Manasseh. And if you remember that story, Ephraim and Manasseh serve as these um, kind of uh, therapy points in Joseph's life in which he's able to forget the, uh, the land of his father. He's able to forget a lot of hurt all because of these, these two boys. And so that's a pretty powerful thing and it's probably true for many of us. We go through hell on earth and then there's something that enables us to cope and to walk through it, right? So Ephraim and Manasseh are those two. And so uh, Jacob is going to bless them and so there's language that seems to indicate that he adopts these two as his sons and he grants the younger one, Ephraim, to be a greater uh, Uh, a greater blessing than the older one, which is Manasseh. So it's keeping it with this upside-down order of God's kingdom. 
Uh, And then Genesis chapter 49, Jacob gathers his 12 sons and he blesses each one of them, speaking prophetically about their future as um, uh, as well as their descendants. And it's fascinating because some of the prophetic declarations to these guys are weird. It's just all there is to it, right? Um, some of it has consequences to it. Some of it is, you know, in light of their past actions. So we'll talk about that briefly today. Then in Genesis 50, Jacob dies in Egypt, and at the end, so does Joseph. Uh, but a key storyline within the chapter is that his brothers, uh, after Jacob dies, Joseph's brothers fear retribution. They, they actually fear that Joseph is um, maybe not forgiving And so Joseph reassures them of forgiveness and care. He requests that his bones be taken to the promised land. And all we see at the end of the book is that uh, Joseph dies and his remains are embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Um, it's such a strange end to a story, right? You're just like, and there you go, right? So we gotta, we got to move on to pick up that story. But that's the brief recap. Today, though, we're talking about this uh, path to reconciliation, a path of reconciliation. And as we do this, I think you're going to see yet again a lot of practical moments, or practical elements that you might feel in your journey to reconciliation. You're going to say, I, I get exactly why he does that. I get exactly why they feel that way. I get exactly this and that, right? So the questions that were really kind of bouncing around in our head are things like, what is the way forward in a relationship that has been broken or in a situation where you've been very hurt? I mean, how many of you have been sold into slavery? Okay, right, that's pretty bad, right? You would all agree, it's pretty bad. Um, how do you move forward from that? How do you not just want to kill these guys? I, I'm wondering that, right? Like, how do you not sit as leader of Egypt and not go, I can really kill you, and I'm just going to love you, right? Like, how, that's pretty impressive, right? Uh, how does it work? What are the mechanisms of reconciliation? Uh, is it simple and clean? No, not anybody's going to think. Is reconciliation messy? Yes, absolutely. Is it, a situa- is it situation specific? Is reconciliation unique to you? Yeah. Are there common threads? Maybe. But it's really important to, to recognize this, especially when we're helping one another cope and work through reconciliation. My story is different than your story, and so... Um, I might be able to lend a helping hand, both physically and emotionally, to what you're going through. But, but it's important for, not, for all of us to not claim we know exactly what they're going through. It's really important because it's unique. You're, you're a unique person. Maybe you think differently than the person you're talking to. And you process grief differently than they process it. You process things differently, whatever it might be. Right? So it's really important to know this. Is it situation specific? Yes, it is. So as we jump into this path forward, I want to remind you of some definitions from last week and the past three weeks, actually. The first one is forgiveness. Forgiveness is, it's on the screen, giving up or letting go completely. It signifies the release of negative feelings of resentment and the desire for retaliation associated with wrongdoing or offense. This is what forgiveness is. I'll give you a confession moment. There are many times where I don't want to forgive. You guys might be like, well, I'll go find a pastor that's better than you are. You can find a thousand of them, okay? But what I am saying is I struggle with it. There's times when I just go, no, I don't want to. But what I love about it 
is that there's always somebody to come beside me and go, yeah, but you know you're supposed to. You know you're called to this. And guess what that is? It's like the thing I talked about at the beginning, Barney and I's conversation, Barney and my conversation about challenging things. And the truth is, I still have to face it. I can run from it. Many people do. I can pull a Jonah. <laughs> See you, God. I'm not doing that, right? But eventually, I have to come back to it, if, at least if I'm going to walk in freedom. So we have forgiveness. Next one is reconciliation. Reconciliation is to bring back together, but that is very nuanced, right? It's a reestablishment of a sense of unity and an agreement after a period of separation or disagreement, okay? Reconciliation. Reconciliation requires a lot to get there, so we're going to be talking about that on that path forward, right? The word reconciliation and the word forgiveness both reflect a process, that's a process of overcoming differences, a process of finding common ground, a process of mending relationships or situations that have been strained. How many of you know that, how many of you have experienced a reconciliation that's taken more than 10 years? How many of you are still ongoing in some reconciliation in your life? Still, still. And there's, again, there's days where it appears like the people I'm being reconciled to don't want to continue and then you have to give them space and grace. And there's times when I don't want to, and they give me space and grace. Right? These are important things. So we have forgiveness and we have reconciliation. And then last but not least, we have repentance, which is not a mere apology. It's a turning around. It's, it's doing something different. Then I shared this last week and <clears throat> the week before. And that is, uh, forgiveness does not require repentance. You need to embrace that. You're going to see this in Joseph. It seems that he had worked it out in his heart to forgive these goofballs a long time before they ever showed up because he was walking in God's will and God's plan. Forgiveness does not require repentance on the other person's behalf. But in order to walk in reconciliation, forgiveness is required and repentance is required. You are not going to get in a car with somebody, proverbial. You're not going to get in a car with somebody and start down a journey in life if you haven't forgiven them and if, you, and if they haven't repented. You're not going to do it. Something is going to deter the journey, okay? So just keep those things in mind. Step one in a path forward, and I want to give credit where credit is due. This outline has been uh, largely informed by Steph this week because we were working through this, and it's just, it's... This is a hard thing, and so sometimes I don't think clearly when it comes to reconciliation. So, step one, having done or doing the work internally. That's what you need to do. If you want to take notes, write this down. Having done or doing the work internally uh, for reconciliation. This is the way forward. Uh, some of that includes testing or proving repentance, and this is a shocker to people in the church. There is no nobility, there is no truth in the idea that you just believe people's story and that is what Paul meant by believe all things. No, 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 no. It's okay to believe all things, but it is okay to test. It is okay to see if their words match their actions, okay? Remember, we're not just to believe all things in words. I want to believe all things in the person, which means I have to look at their actions, if somebody says this but does this, I'm, and, and I'm supposed to believe all things, do you realize I'm believing a contradiction? If someone says I forgive but doesn't walk in forgiveness and I am called to believe all things, which one do I choose? You get it? 
So there's no nobility, there's no uh, sweet, uh, awesome, uh, really good Christian behavior in saying, they said it, so I'm going to accept it even if it comes back to burn me later. That's not good, okay? So in Genesis 42, 8 through, uh, 42, 8, all the way through chapter 44, verse 34, we have the story of Joseph narrated to us and his brother specifically focusing on a series of events that test and reveal the repentance of his brothers for their past actions, okay? And I think that that's powerful. We read this and we go, gosh, it doesn't seem like he's a very loving person. No, he's a shrewd person. And you are allowed to do this in your step forward. And it's going to inform your internal work. Trust me, it's going to inform it. In one test, he actually accuses them of being spies and imprisons one of them, Simeon. Now, I want to think that Joseph is just like me, and he did a little bit of that just to have some fun, right? So I do recommend, if you're going to test their actions, try imprisonment. It just might be a fun thing to do. Okay, you guys are just bumps on logs today. Anyway, so, okay, so just try it. See what happens, right? So he imprisons Simeon while he instructs the rest of them to bring back their youngest brother. That might be the biggest test of all. Because the test here is that this is Joseph, or Jacob's next beloved son. This is, this is Joseph's only true brother, right, in, by his mother. And so this is an important child. And so for him to say, bring him back, he knows what's on the line for this. And so he's testing them, right? But the test reveals several aspects of repentance. The first is remorse and confession. Uh, in, again, Genesis 42 all the way through 44, the brothers express guilt, they express remorse for their past actions, they acknowledge their sin, they admit their wrongdoings against Joseph. All of these things are being said, if you read the text, and repentance has to begin with the acknowledging of the gravity of one's actions. So, like I said, repentance is not merely an apology but it's going to come with thought and words of what you've done. You must, they must acknowledge what has happened, okay? And so repentance begins this way, often. Okay. Number two, uh, changed behavior and actions. Turn with me to Genesis 44, and we'll look at verse 18. Genesis 44, starting at verse 18. Here's what we read. Then Judah approached him and said, Oh, my Lord. May your servant please speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. You might look at that, what sounds like buttering up. It's not. He's, he's being very reverent here. My Lord asked his servants, remember they don't know this is Joseph yet. My Lord asked his servants saying, have you a father or brother? We said to my Lord, we have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left and his, uh, of his mother, and his father loves him. We're going all the way to 34. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servant, however, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus, it came about when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. We told him what you said. Our father said, go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother 
is, uh, unless our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus, your servant will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If you do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? For fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father. So a change in behavior and action is very fascinating because before, obviously the brothers didn't care two hoots about what their father's emotions were when they sold Joseph into slavery. But now when this is on the line, there is a change in their behavior and Joseph is testing it. Joseph is watching their behavior. And in your situation and in your life, if somebody is repentant, you have every right to look at them and find out if that is true. I don't know what test you construct. I'm not saying that you should make their life hell. I am telling you, though, that you do need to be wise in this. And so Joseph is doing this, and he checks what's going on. And then you see this massive transformation in Judah. It's also fascinating that Judah is the one who's willing to lay down his life as he's also the one who wants to offer this kid up, right? He wants to sell Joseph into slavery. Now he's like, just take my life. Just take me instead. That's a pretty uh, crazy turn of the tables in there, right? So what we have is a step to reconciliation is, uh, or a path to reconciliation is having done or doing the work internally. You have, to, you have to test that. You have to see that. You see remorse. You see confession. That's a good sign moving forward. You check for behavior, changed behavior and actions. That's a step for moving forward. The third one would be sacrifice and willingness to make amends. Judah offers himself as a slave. Listen, when you have done wrong, and I'm talking to those who need forgiveness, not those uh, who are forgiving, those who need forgiveness, it is, it is necessary to understand that if you are truly repentant, then you do not claim rights for yourself in these matters anymore. You are the wrong one. It is okay to say, I surrender my rights. Otherwise, you are so stuck in your pride that you will never see any change. You just won't. And I know that that's one of those hard moments, but we have to hear it. We have to recognize that. If repentance is required of us, then we repent. And guess what I said two weeks ago and last week? You relinquish the right to close that door forever. That person who you wounded is allowed to open that door, is allowed to talk about the scars that you've created, is allowed to discuss with you the pain that you've caused. 
If they decide to take that further and become bitter and angry and all of these things, that's a matter for them. That is something where they've gone too far. But you must leave the door open. Okay? And this is hard. So we have sacrifice and willingness to make amends. Joseph doesn't sit there and say, well, it's, this is just not fair. This shouldn't have happened. You don't even know our past situation, Pharaoh's boy, right? You don't even know it. Remember, he doesn't know it's Joseph right now. You don't even know what's going on here. What right do you have to keep my brother and make this whole thing hard? Instead, Joseph is recognizing all of this is because of me anyway. When we repent, we need to think about that. The scars and the wounds that are created are because of us anyway. Relinquish our rights. The next step is genuine sorrow and compassion. The brothers exhibit genuine sorrow and compassion, particularly for who? Their dad this time. Their dad. They actually care about his head coming down, right? They don't want him being oppressed and broken because of the the loss of yet another son and the specific son that he is. Transformation of the heart and transformation of character. Judah's speech uh, reflects a transformed heart. Look again at Genesis chapter 44, starting at verse 30. This is again Judah. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. His heart is transformed. His character is transformed. This is a different Judah than the one who put his brother in a pit, okay? So step one is this internal work, and it includes answering internal questions. But internal questions are answered by providing or by, uh, uh, by administering tests, and that's okay. That's okay. So there's an emphasis, though, on acknowledging past wrongs. I want you to make sure that this is there in your test. Taking responsibility for one's actions. Make sure that the person who has hurt you is taking responsibility for their actions. Make sure that they're willing to make amends for their actions. And make sure they demonstrate genuine remorse. There is something that has messed with their heart in this situation. Otherwise, otherwise still forgive them. But be cautious. Be cautious about what you do next. It's essential, though, to highlight that true repentance involves not only feeling sorry for one's actions, but a committing to a changed life. Okay? That's what you're looking for. Step two in a path forward is being vulnerable to the offender. This is where I started to get hard. Being vulnerable to the person who hurts you. Overwhelmed with emotion, Joseph reassures his brother. Brothers, right? I am Joseph, your brother. He doesn't go, I'm Joseph, the one you put in a pit. Now, he does say it. He's very honest with his brothers. But he, he doesn't deny they're his brothers. This is so big, right? He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. That's not a slip that in to get a zinger, right? That's a, this is just the facts of the story. How many of you know that if you've been hurt, you can be honest with the one who hurt you? How many of you have been told you can't? Yeah. Yes. There should be way more hands because most people are told, listen, if you're really forgiving, you'd stop bringing this stuff up. How hard is it to work through wounds if you can't talk about them? 
Think about this. You go to a doctor. You have this giant laceration. You have this giant cut. And you go to the doctor. And the doctor's like, where is it hurting? And you're like, I can't tell you. He's like, no, 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 seriously, where is it hurting? I'm not allowed to tell you, right? Now, in a physical situation, what's going to happen is you're just going to take it, remove your clothes, and find out what's hurting, right? But think about if it was an internal injury, and you couldn't tell them about where it was. Do you realize how long it's going to take to diagnose what's going on? So emotionally, if we're not careful, we do this. And there is immense pain, but we're not allowed to talk about it because if we talk about it, we're not being good Christians and we're, not, we're, not, we're bringing up records of wrong. That is BS, church. Sorry. Anyway, he comforts, he forgives them, right? And then he explains that God's plan was actually at work and that their actions, though hurtful and though wrong, were a part of a divine plan to actually save lives. Now, this is where our stories are not the same. Please do not hear the pastor telling you that that person who betrayed you in all of your life, don't worry, God had an ultimate plan behind it all. No, it might not be like Joseph's story. There might not be the preservation of life on the end of that. It may be that we just live in a sinful world with sinful people that do sinful stuff. I hate that, but it's true. People ask the question, why do bad things happen? And sometimes the answer is because we live in a wicked world. That's it. People go, no, I need a deeper reason. You're not going to get one sometimes. When little children are sold into sex slavery because some obscure idea that their parents have that they won't be able to protect their child or they won't be able to provide for them and they think that this is the best way forward, that's just heinous and wicked Sometimes that's the only answer you're going to get. Is that not broken? Yes. Who's going to answer that question better? No one. So you have to settle with it. There is just brokenness in the world, right? So God's plan is at play in Joseph's life, and that's the unique part here. Joseph invites them to bring their father, Jacob, and their families to Egypt and to escape the famine. So we're talking about a path forward. It's being vulnerable with your offender. Number one, acknowledge and express your feelings. Just say what you're feeling. And don't let anybody tell you you're not allowed to speak it. Okay? Turn to Genesis 45. Genesis 45, verses 3 through 5. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. No crap. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold, into, you sold into Egypt. Now do not grieve or be angry with yourself because you sold me, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Look at the acknowledgement of expressed feelings. You sold me here. This is true. You did this to me. But, but there's a plan, Okay. So number one is acknowledging and expressing your feelings. Number two, forgiving and actually letting go, that definition. Joseph demonstrates forgiveness, but he releases the bitterness and angry anger that he could have harbored for years. Do you know that Joseph could have been like, fine, it's good, go get dad, I want to see dad, okay, that's fine, um, but I'm going to move dad over here into Goshen, and you boys are going to build some bricks for a while. 
right? He could have done that. He didn't do that, right? I mean, I don't know what their job was, but it's, it's, he's not being harsh with them is the point, right? So vulnerability involves being open to forgiveness, uh, to, to be open to all the wrongs that they've done, and then talk about your feelings and make steps forward. Number three, understanding the bigger picture. This gets really complicated. There is not always a good reason why sin happens. But there is always something that's happening in people's minds. One of the reasons why we get locked up in our arguments is because when a person tries to explain what was going on in their mind, what we hear is justification. Sometimes people aren't justifying themselves. They're just simply telling you the craziness that went into the bad thing that they did. Because we're all smart enough to know there's no excuse. You just hurt me. You just hurt me. But they can say to you, I hurt you. I'm sorry I hurt you. Here is what was going on in my life. That is not to blame for this. I am to blame for this. But I want you to realize that I wasn't just Adolf Hitler trying to kill people or hurt people. It's important for you to know. It's important when you begin to understand the bigger picture. When you begin to take this step, and again, what was this step? Being vulnerable with the offender. Being vulnerable means understanding their side as well. Even though it is wrong, you have to understand it. And especially if you're in a story like Joseph and there's a divine plan, it's important to keep the bigger picture in mind. Otherwise, you are going to be discouraged but you can live in encouragement if you know God is doing something. I just think that that's powerful. The next one would be sympathy and compassion. You have to show sympathy and you have to show compassion towards your offender. Despite the past, Joseph shows sympathy and compassion to his brother's well-being. He ensures provision. He ensures provision on the journey home. He ensures provision on the way back and a place to stay. Does he sit there and act like nothing has ever gone wrong? No. But he provides that space. And he understands because he gets what it looks like to be compassionate and to be loving and to be forgiving. How many of you are like, but Nathan, this is just really hard. Be honest with me. But Nathan, this is really hard. Show of hands. But Nathan, this is really hard. But Nathan, this is really hard. Yeah, it's okay. And I want you to look around and realize we all know that it's hard. And nobody's saying if you don't do it within the next hour, you're clearly not a good Christian. No, it's a journey. It's hard. It's like discipline. It does not feel good in the moment. But the fruit that it brings in all the pain you have to go through is worth it. I promise you, it's worth it. Rebuilding relationships is another thing in, in understanding, right? You take the steps to rebuild whatever can be rebuilt. Not everything can be. It's okay. You've gotten a divorce. You've lived apart for 20 years. You're not coming back together to try to get married again. It might not even be 20 years. It might be two days and you're like, that can't ever happen again. I understand. I understand. Reconciliation doesn't always mean a return to the thing that was, but a kind of unity that enables you to walk forward in freedom. Amen? In teaching about vulnerability towards an offender, using this narrative in particular, the focus should be on the healing power of forgiveness for you, understanding the bigger picture, right? Uh, sympathizing with others and uh, 
any kind of rebuilding that you can possibly do. Third step in moving forward is keeping a realistic view of the offender. I'm not going back on what I just said here, but you need to keep a realistic view of the offender. Jesus 20, 45, 24 portrays an emotional and significant moment, moment when Joseph instructs his brothers not to quarrel or be distressed along the way as they return to their father Jacob. I just want to focus on what I wrote here because I think I, I, think I wrote it better than I'm going to ad-lib it here, okay? So here's what I wrote. The, this verse, Genesis 45, 24, this verse reflects Joseph's wisdom and understanding of human emotions and relationships, particularly in a context where reconciliation is fragile and emotions are running high. Understanding the power of words is something Joseph did. Joseph's instruction to his brothers to avoid quarreling or distressing their father Jacob, which is a part of that stop quarreling bit, is a demonstration of the power that words have in the impact on relationships. Teaching from this verse emphasizes the importance of choosing our words carefully trying to illustrate this by reading right now. <laughs> Choosing our words carefully, especially when dealing with sensitive situations or individuals who have caused harm. It underscores the need for sympathy and compassion even in our words. So if you're dealing with a situation and it's really tense and, and, and chaotic, what I would recommend, even if you're a person like me that likes to TE, you like to talk out, you like to think through your thoughts live and do those kinds of things, I recommend you do the hard work of writing it down. And then you can apply all those weird rules that we get in the culture today, which is write it down, uh, sleep on it, reread it the next morning, most likely throw it away, rewrite it. You know, you can do that if that's what makes it better. But be careful with your words. Promoting healing and reconciliation is another piece to this in, their, um, in the use of their words or in the instruction Joseph gives. By urging his brothers to maintain peace and not distress, uh, and not distress their father, Joseph promotes healing and reconciliation within the family. Um, so, so a part of the managing of your quarreling is don't get home and be a, an oppressive mess on our father. I think the other part of this that's really important, maybe not thought of all the time, is that um, if they go on their way home and they start complaining, how likely is it, just tell me from your own personal experience, how likely is it that you'll talk yourself out of your repentance and back to, we were right the whole time? <laughs> we do this all the time, Right? Here's what we do. We gather around a group of buddies or a group of people that all just agree with us, and then we're pitchforks and torches, and we're ready to take it. And we're actually the ones who did wrong. This is a problem, okay? So Joseph is not actually, there's a piece of Joseph's don't quarrel because I think he looks at his brothers and goes, I know the kind of people you are. Right? And you sold me in slavery, you bunch of losers, right? So that's one thing I think he's thinking. The next one is, I don't want to ruin what's happening. So don't go on the way and screw this whole thing up. And number three, he's going, I want to protect dad. So there's a lot going into the dynamics, the, the dynamics of this story, right? So he urges his brothers to maintain peace and not distress their father. Managing realistic expectations is so vital. Joseph's instruction uh, acknowledges the reality of a strained relationship between his brothers and Jacob. 
Teaching from this verse highlights the importance of maintaining a realistic view of the offender and the situation. It is not wrong for you to say, I'm sorry, but you have hurt me. And the realistic view is, I haven't tested enough to see you change. Did you know you can say that to somebody? Do you know that you will probably offend them if you do? It's okay if they're truly repentant. The humility has relinquished the right to fight. They can come back to the table and say, yeah, I haven't changed yet, and I'm sorry for this. Everything I'm talking about is a long process. It is hard work, church. Do you know how long Joseph lived in Egypt after being reunited with his brothers? It says, enough to see three generations of his sons. Three generations of his sons? Seems like a long time. That's a long time to be living back in relationship with the people that sold you in slavery that you were uh, estranged from for 20 years or so. It's a long period, both of the offense and the restoration. It's going to take work. It's going to take time. And even after all that time, we're going to see in just a second, there was an issue that they had, which is they thought that this thing was, his forgiveness wasn't real, or they, they wondered if it would go away once their father died. So teaching about Jacob's realistic view of his sons is also important to this. This is where we get into those blessings in Genesis chapter 49. Um, I, I hope you'll notice this because this gives people who have been hurt a bit of hope about how God might handle someone who does wrong. Track with me here. This can give you a bit of hope on how God or how a, how a, a, a larger leader, a bigger head over things might deal with those who have done wrong. Jacob's blessing for Reuben acknowledges his position as firstborn and the strength that he initially held. However... It also reflects a realistic view of Reuben's character considering his past actions, specifically regarding his transgression with Bilhah, which you can read on your own if you would like that rated R version, right? But teaching from this passage emphasizes the importance of recognizing both potential, there's a blessing, and a recognition, you were a dirtbag. That's okay. That happens. Simeon and Levi are in the same boat. Jacob's blessing for Simeon and Levi is critical, because it's realistic. He addresses their violent actions and their deceit in avenging the violation against their sister Dinah. We talked about how she was, uh, she was raped, right, in this challenging situation. This serves, though, as a reminder that actions have consequences, and God knows that. God knows that. You forgive and leave what up to God? The rest, the results, the judgment. The condemnation, if that comes, for somebody who lacks repentance in an ultimate sense. God is the one in control of that. Genesis 45, 24, and Genesis 49, 3 through 7 emphasize the importance of managing expectations, promoting healing, being cautious with words, and maintaining a realistic view of the people you're dealing with. Okay? Don't let Christians tell you that you can't look at somebody and say, I haven't seen change. Just don't let them tell you that. There's no way forward if you're not willing and they're not willing to deal with truth, okay? Uh, last, number four, continue the work of forgiveness. 
Say this with me, church. Continue the work of forgiveness. Say it with me again. Continue the work of forgiveness. One more time. Continue the work of forgiveness. What have we been talking about today? A path to reconciliation. A path to reconciliation requires forgiveness and repentance. And in that path, you must continue to work for forgiveness. You must continue. It's going to be hard. There's going to be days you don't want to, but you must continue. The latter part of the book uh, of Genesis, chapters 46 through 50, uh, provides this narrative that illustrates right, the importance of, of all that we've talked about, forgiveness, reconciliation, repentance, all that, um, and transformed relationship. So Joseph's model of forgiveness is this. Uh, despite the harm that they caused him, he still shows them that he sees a bigger picture that God has, uh, God has in store, or God is working out. If we, if we look to this passage for our lessons for reconciliation, we should, we should emphasize or we should highlight that forgiveness involves letting go of bitterness, seeking true reconciliation, and the journey that comes with that. The next step there is rebuilding trust and relationships. That will take the longest period of time. Maybe three generations of their sons. I don't know. But it's going to take time, right? Um, Joseph and his family reunite. They settle in Egypt, and they begin to rebuild that trust. But where does that trust go awry? It's a very interesting thing. And this is a, a, a practical lesson for everybody who's dealing with this kind of thing. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Um, we'll start at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? That's a serious and real question right there. What if the forgiveness is gone? Now, who do you have to sympathize with and who do you have to understand in order to see the value of that question? The perpetrator. So what the point for me is, is that if you're going to walk in forgiveness, make sure that your forgiveness doesn't change, that it's consistent, that it's faithful, that it's always right. Why? Because if they even ask that question, what if they change their mind, your actions will prove it's good. Everybody's good here. We're going to keep going forward, right? So he says, what if Joseph does this? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, I love this, here's a contract, don't ever violate it because we're panicking, <laughs> right? Right? Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now, please forgive the transgression of your servants, uh, of the servants of God, of your father. And Joseph wept. When they spoke to him. Why do you think that is? I bet you, you guys will all come up with different reasons. But listen, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them 
and spoke kindly to them. Here's my view. My view is that Joseph wept because he couldn't believe that they wouldn't trust him. He's done more than any of us in forgiveness probably ever have. And he says, I, you guys are good. And they're like, but what if we're not? And that would break your heart. You know why it should break your heart if you're in Joseph's shoes? Because you didn't do anything wrong. That's actually a possibility in a story. I've told you guys before that we love to say this. We say, there's your side of the story, there's my side of the story, and then there's the truth. And that is possible. There's also stories where there's your side of the story and it is the truth. And you don't let anybody bully you out of it. And then there's times when their side of the story is true and you just need to humble yourself and admit you're wrong. Amen? This is very complicated, but it's beautiful if you can see it. So Joseph is broken because of this, but it doesn't matter. His, his journey in this is a continued work of forgiveness. Compassion even when they question the one who shouldn't be questioned. That's huge. Or as the president, former president would say, that's huge, right? Okay. Joseph's compassion and care for his family. He sh- continues to show this compassion. During the famine, forgiveness, provision. Joseph's blessing and unity. uh, Jacob's blessing and unity. Jacob's blessing to his sons before his death reflects forgiveness and unity within the family. If this letter, if this thing is true, then the idea is it was all Jacob's desire to see actual restoration. True restoration. That's what any dad would want. That's what any mother would want. That's what anybody who is truly following after God would want. And here's what I want you to understand. As harsh as the instruction can be towards forgiveness, repentance, and reconciliation, I want the same thing. I want to see you walk in peace and harmony. I don't want you walking around feeling like you got a monkey on your back. I don't want you walking around feeling like that this is an unbelievable burden that cannot be fought for. I want you to know that there's people that will walk with you in this. That's what I want. That's what anybody who is truly devoted to God should want. So watch for that, okay? The Father, blessings and unity. Joseph's final act of forgiveness, again, even after the death of his father, uh, he forgives them. He tells them he's going to care for them. He's not going to stop in all of this. Guys, our journey towards reconciliation uh, is a fascinating path, right? That path, again, do the work internally. That might include tests. Just do the work internally. Second thing that you need to do, again, is be vulnerable to the offender. As hard as that might be at times, be vulnerable to the offender. The third, keep a realistic view of the offender. You do not have to make a, uh, a fake face for them. You can deal with them for who they are. And then your final piece uh, for this path to reconciliation is to continue the work of forgiveness. And it's going to be hard, but continue it. Amen.